in the Gospel of Mark, a study that will be taking us for the next several months. We're studying this Gospel at this time because the Lord has spoken that it is His desire for us as a people here at Bethel Christian Fellowship to go through a radical shift. A shift is a dislodging and a repositioning and accelerating and intensifying. Radical has to do with a returning to the root. In other words, he wants to do that dislodging and repositioning and intensifying and accelerating, starting at the very root. And so we are going back to the root of Jesse which is our Lord Jesus Christ and His Gospel. And as we do so, we are receiving more than information. We are receiving transformation. Because when we come to the Word of God, and specifically and particularly when we come to His Gospel, we are not simply coming to a historical text and sort of, you know, blowing off the dust off of ancient history pages. We are coming into contact with the very living presence and power of Jesus Christ Himself. And so as we come to His Word, we are coming to the living God and hearing His words and getting shaken down to the very depths and foundations of our heart. This morning we come to a chapter change, though it doesn't show up as a chapter change in your text. As you know, the verse identifications and the chapter identifications were added at a much later date. They were not in any of the original manuscripts. If we were perhaps doing it now, we might actually put the chapter change right here in verse 14 of Mark chapter 1, because... The first 13 verses, in a sense, are prologue. We began a couple weeks ago by looking at the first eight verses, which introduce us to the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then last week, my thanks to Tom, who did such a wonderful job of preaching here while I was preaching over at our Minneapolis campus, In verses 9 to 13, we see the commissioning of Jesus as He goes through baptism and the temptation in the wilderness. So all of that has prepared us now for Jesus' ministry to begin to unfold. And so this morning, our text is Mark 1, chapter 1, verse 14 to 20. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, He said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow Me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed Him. And when He had gone a little farther, He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed This morning we're going to take some time to unpack this packed passage of Scripture. This particular word in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, the inauguration here of Jesus' ministry, brings us a number of different significant themes that we are going to be watching unfold over the months to come as we continue in our study of this incredible Gospel. And so this morning I'm going to introduce some things that we're going to pull out at greater length and in greater detail and depth at a later time. But I want us to have a framework as we move forward through the Gospel and as you read ahead and as you study and, and, and meditate on and delve into this great Gospel, I want you to pay attention and watch how these themes will come up over and over and over again. In your bulletin, there's a tear-off there and there's a place for sermon notes. And let me invite you to take some sermon notes because it will help you remember these themes. And you can even take notes later and watch where these themes reoccur throughout the Gospel. It says after, it begins here, after John was put in prison. So, so Mark gives us a little bit of a historical note here. And let me pause for a moment just to give you that context. Because one of the important things about the Scripture is that it does not take place in a vacuum. One of the incredible things about the Word of God and the truth of Christianity and the truth of the gospel is that it's not simply sort of disembodied words that sort of hang out there in some disconnected ether land and float towards you like little, you know, feathers on the wind. These are rooted in historical reality. They are rooted in the lives of men and women who lived life here on earth just like you and I are. And face challenges and difficulties just like you and I do. And if you think the political scene today is a little bit wacky at times, the political scene of this time was certainly no less wacky than the time we live in. John the Baptist was put in prison because he had the temerity to speak truth to power. And just as it has been true down through the ages, whenever anybody has had the boldness to begin to speak truth to power, 
power's usual response is to try to squash truth. So John the Baptist had the boldness to speak to Herod Antipas, who was the ruler of that particular region at that time, about a little bit of a personal issue in Herod Antipas's life that was common knowledge and everyone knew it, but no one had the boldness to speak about it. You see, Herod Antipas had been married to the daughter of Eretus IV of Arabia. But he discarded that marriage because he wanted to marry his own niece, Herodias. Who just so happened at that time to already be married to Herod Antipas' brother, Herod Philip. You try to do the math and figure out the... Yeah. And so John spoke truth to power and because of that he was put in prison for speaking about this blatant immorality and incredible dysfunction and sin. So it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Now when we think of Galilee, of course, we have all of the sort of the warm fuzzies that come around that from hearing that word, perhaps growing up or in Sunday school, you know, whatever. We, we think, oh, Galilee sounds so lovely, peaceful. Well, Galilee was anything but peaceful. Galilee was a, a, a sea of foment. There was a lot of stuff going on in Galilee. Galilee, even more than any other place in Israel, was surrounded by Gentiles. It was generally the first place to be invaded from the north when people came to take over Israel. They, they came through Galilee. It was a place where there was actually... Uh, sort of on the positive side of things, Galilee was a place where there was an openness to new ideas and new concepts. Because of all of the, the interplay of different people who came there. It was a, it was a place of conflict. It was a place of, of threat. It was a place of great racial diversity. It was a place of significant economic activity. It was a very dynamic region, and it is into that region that Jesus comes. And the first thing of Jesus' ministry that we see here happening is it tells us that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Well, let's take a moment to unpack the good news or the gospel of God. It's interesting because this is the only place in the gospels where this particular phraseology comes in, this particular way of stating it, the gospel of God. But Paul picks it up in his writings, as does the Apostle Peter. 
And there is one particular passage of Paul's that really unfolds the fullness of what we mean when we speak of the Gospel of God. And it's found in the beginning of Paul's great letter to the Roman church, Romans chapter 1. And of course, the whole book of Romans unfolds and and teaches us about the Gospel. But right here, we have encapsulated, right at the very beginning of Romans 1, we have an encapsulation of the Gospel of God. Listen carefully to it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Same phrase, good news of God, gospel of God, same thing. The gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the Spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Him and for His name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The Gospel of God is, of course, centered in and surrounds and at the very core and foundation of that Gospel is the good news and great story of Jesus Christ. That is the essence, the core of this great Gospel. And the incredible thing about Jesus coming into Galilee and beginning to announce this, announcing and proclaiming the Gospel of God, is He is saying now, people of Galilee, and ultimately people of all of the world, a door has been opened to you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and me, and all of us, throughout the ages, from every nation, from every people, in every generation, have the opportunity to belong to God. It was not a coincidence that Elizabeth wrote a song that we sang this morning and that the choir testified, I belong to you. I belong to you. We belong to God. We belong to God. Who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This is the wonderful news of the Gospel people. And if you have never heard that truth before, or maybe you've heard it a thousand times, would you please hear it again this morning? The good news of God is that you and I can belong and do belong to Jesus Christ, Hallelujah. our Lord. <laughs> what a good news and what a blessing. He comes forth proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 15. The time has 
The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Now, Jesus talks about the kingdom relentlessly. He talks about the kingdom more than He talks about anything else. Now, those of you that have been here at Bethel a while, you will have heard me unpack some of this before. But if you're like me, you probably have a really good forgetter, so it'll be helpful to have the reminder. And for those of you that haven't heard it before... Let me try to explain this in a way to help you understand and give you a framework for understanding what we're talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God. You see, for most of us, from our human perspective, when we start thinking about the kingdom, our thoughts automatically go to a geographical or political realm. We start thinking about something that has a a, a prescribed area either geographically or politically, and that realm is called a kingdom. But when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about something different than a geographic realm. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we are talking about a revelation of the reign and rule of God. Those two words are essential for your understanding about the kingdom. You need to switch your thinking and shift your understanding from the word realm to the word reign and rule. Reign speaks of the sovereign authority of a king. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the sovereign authority of Jesus. When we're talking about His rule, we're talking about the reality that this sovereign King has the sovereign authority to put the rule, the values, the true into His kingdom. And the kingdom then is about coming into alignment with His rule. You hearing? Are you with me? You following? Okay. Let me just take this and pull it out just a little bit more for you. (laughs) Really, we've got to get a hold of this. All right? So let me give you um, an illustration, a a way of, of seeing this pictorially. I want, I want you to capture this picture. Some of you have seen this before. Some of, this, some of you, this will be brand new. Okay. First of all, we need to understand that there is what the Scripture calls this present kingdom. This present kingdom began when Satan rebelled against God in heaven and then this present kingdom on earth became a reality when Adam and Eve in the garden, deceived by Satan, rebelled against God and fell and sin entered and death entered into this earthly reality. This 
present kingdom began then and continues now. When Jesus came announcing and said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, He inaugurated the kingdom to come. With His coming, His very presence, the King coming to earth, and the message of the Gospel of God declares for us that another kingdom has now been established here on earth as well. It is the kingdom to come. The kingdom of the King inaugurated when Jesus came. That kingdom, the kingdom to come, will be consummated when Jesus comes for the second time. And when He comes for the second time, this present kingdom as we know it will come to an end. That's why there is a point, a period, there will be a time when this present kingdom will be no more. But His kingdom knows no end! From age to age, eternally, the kingdom to come will be. We, as the people of God and the church, live in the tension between these two kingdoms. We are citizens of whatever geographic, political realm we happen to live in here on earth. For most of us, that may your passport may say United States of America. Some of you have passports that say other things. But those of us who are followers of Christ have another passport as well because we are citizens of another kingdom. But we feel deep in our very soul, the tension between having one foot in each of those kingdoms. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, take courage, for I have overcome the world. And so right now, while we wait for the consummation, we see the kingdom breaking in, but it's still breaking in in part. And so we see salvation But not everyone we see is choosing to walk in salvation. We see deliverance, but there are still those who are bound. We see healing, but there are still those who are broken and sick and hurt. We see justice in part, but we still see injustice 
and our hearts break. And so we say, as it says in Revelation, even so, Lord, come, Maranatha, the Spirit and the Bride say, come! We long for You and for the full consummation of Your Kingdom. Jesus. Let me give you a a picture of this to help us understand it even more. If you think of that, Jesus' first coming, if you think of, and I know many of you are not from the United States, and so you may not have this history in your, as much in your knowledge, but in World War II, there was a day called D-Day. On D-Day, the Allied forces landed at Normandy to come against the Axis and, 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 to, and, and, and on D-Day, when, 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 when they were able to take that land and begin the process, the war at that point was effectively over. D-Day was the announcement that the war was effectively over. But V-Day came many months, many, many months later. The actual completion of the war, the resolution of it, the consummation didn't come till much later. And in between that time, between D-Day and V-Day, more troops were lost. There were more casualties in that time than any other time in the war even though the war was effectively done. Jesus comes and announces the war is over. It's done. But we still live in the battle. And that's where we're in the battle. In our work, in the restaurant, in our home, in our hearts, the battle goes on. But I'm here to declare to you that the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. So live as a citizen of that kingdom. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Change your direction and commit yourself to Him. Turn around and follow Him. It's the response required of this good news. The door is open. Come in. Jesus tells this parable. Matthew 21, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I'll not, I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. And Jesus said to them, and he's talking to the religious authorities, the spiritual guys, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. 
For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. Here is the cautionary word for us. Repenting and believing is not simply moving your lips to a particular formula or phrase of prayer. It's the moving of your heart. It's the changing of direction. And believing and trusting. And obeying. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Verse 16. So, back in the text. Mark 1.16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, which is also known as the Sea of Gennesaret sometimes, or um, known by other names, other places, but by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That was not my wife they were throwing into the lake. A net, but they were casting a net into the lake. All right. Sorry, we just need a little air in the room for a moment. Okay. Sorry, sweetheart. All right. Verse 17. Those incredible words. Have you heard him before? Would you hear him again this morning? Come, follow me. Come, follow me. These are words we're going to hear Jesus speak over and over again throughout this Gospel. And what I want you to understand today is that when Jesus says, come, follow me, implicit in that invitation are three invitations to you and to me. The first invitation that Jesus gives is the invitation to come to Me. It is the call of salvation. It is the invitation for you and I to experience a new identity. Becoming a child of God. It's the call of salvation. Come to Me, Jesus says. But He never stops there. Because right on the heels of the invitation for salvation and the call to come to Him is the call to come after Me. Which is the call of discipleship and the invitation to a new maturity. Because you can respond to that call maybe as an adult and may already be mature in certain ways and areas of your life, but this is a call to a new maturity, a maturity in the Spirit, a maturity of your soul. Come after Me, He says. But He doesn't stop there. There's one more call. He says, come to Me, come after Me, come with me. 
This is the call of intimacy. It's the call to a new destiny. It's the call to the destiny to be known as a friend of God. I no longer call you servants, he says, but I call you friends. It's the invitation into the fellowship of His glory and the fellowship of His suffering. Paul describes his own life, and he doesn't use these exact words, but it's so powerful in Philippians chapter 3. Familiar passage to many of you, but hear it afresh in the context of those invitations. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining for what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you hear it woven all the way through? This new identity, this new maturity, this new destiny. That's what you and I are called to. And it's the most exciting thing in the world. It really is. It is wonderful, full of wonder. But Jesus presses right on. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right on the heels of this invitation to come to Him is the invitation to go. To become fishers of men. Now, we sometimes think immediately when we think fishers of men, we think of, you know, because we live kind of between the coasts and sort of landlocked, we've got some lakes and all of that sort of stuff, but you think of taking your pole and, you know, throwing out your, throwing out your line into the water. But the picture here is of nets and net working. These are throwing their nets, these are weighted nets that are, it's really hard work. And these fishermen are working very hard, often for very small returns. They don't always get the big catch, but they go and they continue to do it and they're consistent in their labors. And they throw out that net to catch the fish. And that's a beautiful picture of that call to go, because he calls us not to go alone. He sent them two by two, and then he calls them, he calls us to go as a body together, because with the various and diverse gifts and graces that we each have, we each have a thread in the net, and as we are tied together in relationship, he throws us as a net out into the river to catch 
fish of many kinds. Ezekiel 47. Swarms of living creatures. This is talking about the river of God. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live and fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eglim and there will be places for spreading nets and the fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the great sea. So our job is to find out, Lord, where's the river flowing? And let's get in with our nets and catch the swarms of living fish. All right. Last slide for those of you that are wondering. When he'd gone a little further, verse 19, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets without delay. This is the repeated refrain in the Gospel of Mark. The word there is literally immediately. And there is such an immediacy and urgency about the Gospel of Mark. Over and over again we hear those words, immediately, without delay. He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And the last thing that I want us to see this morning and that we'll see over and over again through the Gospel of Mark is this whole lesson about obedience. Obedience literally means to listen and then to do. And they heard, they left, and they followed And when we hear the invitation to come and we choose to follow, it implicitly means that we're leaving where we were to go where He is and to walk with Him where He's going. Luke 14, Jesus says this, last scripture this morning. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Large crowds. A lot of people, they really liked what Jesus did. He had to say, and they liked the miracles. Large crowds. Jesus says to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone will see it, will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Hard saying. Let me help you understand that. Jesus is not instructing me to hate my wife. I am commanded and covenanted in love to her, and I do. What he's saying is, compared to him and his value, it's that comparison, the comparative value of Christ. More than my own life, more than my own family, more than my work. More than my ministry. More than my bank account. More than my health. More than my strength. 
more than anything. He's worth it. And His value is beyond estimation. And when that captures our soul, then obedience follows. Hmm. Hmm. It's the only response. And He calls us to do it and to be able to finish and to finish well. Come on up, worship team, if you would, please. We're going to sing um, because it was, I think, the absolute perfect entry point and it's also the perfect exit point I have decided to follow Jesus. Um, So this morning, as we close... hearing the Lord saying the time is the time has now come the kingdom of God is here repent and believe and follow me and if you are here this morning and you have never heard that invitation maybe articulated as clearly as you've heard it today or never felt that compelling call, but this morning you hear Him saying, come, follow me. I want to invite you into salvation today, to a new identity as a child of God. Come to me, Jesus is saying right now. It's not my voice. It's your voice. It's His voice that you are hearing. Some of you have responded to that invitation a long time ago. But to be honest, if you're honest with yourself and honest with God, you haven't gone very far. You know the saying, I've said it before, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. That's true spiritually as well. But the Lord is inviting you to a new maturity today. He's inviting you to come after Him and be His disciple and begin to submit fully to His reign and rule. This morning, do not resist that voice calling you, come after me. And some of you are hearing, come with me. The call to intimacy... Oh, we all suffer in our life, but this is entering into the sufferings of Christ with Him and also into His glory. It's, it's coming close to Him, weeping with what breaks His heart, rejoicing with what brings Him joy. It's the call of a new destiny, a friend of God. If you're hearing those calls this morning, as we stand together, if you're physically able, stand to your feet right now.